Hello, welcome to Paperback Readers. Glad to be back with you. Hope summer is treating everybody well, I guess, except any listeners in the Southern Hemisphere. I guess I hope winter's treating them well. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, lots of reading, lots to talk about. Uh, appreciate some feedback, and, and you'll hear more about a suggestion that uh, one that of our listeners sent to us that we have taken. Yeah. So. Can't wait. Yeah. Okay, Joe, tell us what you've been reading. Well, some of us did not read a laundry list of books, so this shouldn't be hard for some of us, i.e. me. Um, <laughs> I've got a few, though. I read The Big 50 Chicago Cubs by Carrie Muscat. And I have to confess first that Carrie, who is a longtime Cubs baseball writer, always in my mind is Carrie Muskrat because her name is Muskrat without an R. And I'm sorry for that, <laughs> but it's out there. Sorry, oh, Carrie. Uh, the subtitle of the book is The Men and Moments That Made the Chicago Cubs. This is from Triumph Books, uh, and it's basically one of the kind of companion books to their 100 Things series, which is near and dear to my heart because that was the first book I ever wrote. 100 Things Wildcats fans should know and do before they die, recently updated with a new forward by Dan Issel, RTM. No, that, <laughs> that part I'm kidding about. The new forward's true. Totally unbiased opinion, but it is an excellent book. So. Well, you know, they're, they're, they're fun books for... New fans for developing fans. Uh, if you're a little longer in the tooth as a fan like I am, it's it's kind of a fun recap of all the the history. And, of course, Kerry did this post the Cubs winning the World Series. So all of those good stories are in there. So a, a fun read, a light read, a quick read, uh, but certainly not one I'm dismissive of because been there, done that myself. Yeah, it sounds like a good one for you. The good others. summer book. Yes. Uh, one that had lived on my bookshelf for a long time and I, I finally got to. I you that. A million years ago, I bought you that. Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, which is a novel by Ben Fountain. Outstanding novel. Uh, and I love this particular edition because it opens with a speech that Fountain gave at the U.S. Air Force Academy in 2013. Um, the speech might even be better than the novel. It is Ooh. an outstanding speech. September 10, 2013, U.S. Air Force Academy, Ben Fountain. If anybody wants to try to Google it uh, and find the speech, the yeah. speech is outstanding and really sets you up very well for the novel, uh, which is a meditation on war and our emphasis on it and the cost of it and the way that we, as Americans, regard and treat our military uh, and battle and combat and all of these important big issue things. Very much a novel that comes out of 9-11 and the Iraq conflict that followed that. Um, really kind of unforgettable. I need to see the movie now. They did make a movie oh, of this. Wow. I did not, which is funny because one of the things in the novel is these guys are dealing with somebody who's threatening, promising, trying to make a movie of their story. <laughs> so I'm interested to see a movie about a novel where they're talking about making a movie. Is that meta enough? I, I hope so. I didn't think that I wanted to read this one, but you've just made it sound amazing. I, it's not the kind of book that I normally read, but Billy Lynn is a really remarkable young man, and he's he's been in Iraq. He's performed bravely with incredible heroism in a very big military operation, and now he's home briefly before he gets sent right back into it. So it gives him this moment of perspective, and much of the novel is at a Dallas Cowboys game where he's being patted on the back by all of these 
wealthy, well-to-do people who want to talk about these big abstract ideas of courage and bravery, but also are quite content to send Billy right back to Iraq in a few days to fight the war that they have the money and the connections to not fight themselves. Uh, so, Pretty powerful. Yeah, it, it, it's a keeper. It's a good book. Recommend it. And I didn't really hear much about the movie, so I'm a little bit afraid of it, <laughs> but I'll probably seek it out anyway. Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk by Ben Fountain. What's up next? And the other book I read, other than our shared read, uh, which shares some some similarities to our shared read because it's essay-based stuff. You talked about this all the time while you were reading Mm -hmm. the other book. It's called Cardboard Gods, an All-American Tale Told Through Baseball Cards. And I love that the cover actually looks like a pack of baseball cards (laughs) and says, with one stick bubble gum. It's by uh, Josh Wilker. You did not get the bubble gum, though. No, no bubble gum, and would probably be stale now. Such a disappointment. So Josh is a guy who's uh, 40s or so, and he tells the story of growing up, and he does it using baseball cards kind of as a narrative device. He writes an essay, which will be about some part of his life, uh, and also will wrap around a baseball card. Some of the baseball cards are chosen because they were favorite players or they call to mind you know, important baseball moments. Some of them are, are chosen because they're completely anonymous, feudal journeymen who are just toiling in obscurity and look dazed, and that was how Josh felt. Um, Josh had an odd life. Josh, this is not a happy book. This is not the glow of nostalgia. This is kind of going back through a lot of childhood pain and difficulty, which I think is, is probably true for more people than, than we'd like to think. Uh, and, and Josh's writing is beautiful. It's very internal. It, it's, it's very kind of soul-bearing, maybe sometimes uh, even too much so. It's a very personal book for Josh uh, and one that I enjoy it. This is the second time I read it. I think I liked it even better this time than the first time. Uh, it won't be everybody's cup of tea, but at the same time, I think it's one of those books that if you identify with it, if you kind of fall into the narrative premise of it, you really will enjoy it. Uh, so, You wanted me to check out an essay or two and just see if it's something I want to read. Yeah, again, stylistically, it's it's different than anybody else, and that alone should be an endorsement when we're talking about baseball. I mean, there there are only so many ways to to you know skin the proverbial cat here. Uh, I said earlier that the Big Fifty series comes out of another series that the same publisher did, and, and. you know, a lot of the same stories are told again and again. These are not the same stories. That's definitely true. It's a very personal, very human uh, piece of writing. And Josh Wilker, Cardboard Gods, uh, definitely one that uh, if, if my description has you interested, check it out. If not, it might not be for you. Well, there you go. It's a good description. You, uh, meanwhile, read uh, you know half of the Library of Congress or so. so. <laughs> well, I did read a lot, so I'm going to try to just go through them quickly and not take forever to talk about them. First, I read Hang the Moon by Alexandria Belfleur. It was a story, a little romance book about um, two people who meet up after many, many years. It was very simple, very predictable, but sometimes you just like to have a book that is very predictable. You don't have to worry about anybody because you know from the first sentences exactly how it's all going to end. So, it's a little summary book. 
Um, then I read Tales of Beetle the Bard by J.K. <laughs> Rowling, although I think on the front of the book she credits somebody else. You know, if you've read the Harry Potter series at all, then you are familiar with Tales of Beetle the Bard. They're kind of referenced throughout, I think, but they mostly play a big role in the very last book, which I'm rereading with my son right now. Um, this book was bought by our daughter, whom we should have had on to let her talk about this too. We'll maybe get, if you read it, we'll maybe get her to talk about it then. She loved this book and read it many times. And so then she gave it to me and I read through it. Tales of Beetle the Bard is basically your typical set of fairy tales for wizards. Um, so it would be, it's the equivalent of the Grimm brothers, yeah, I guess. Yeah, not gross mostly. It's just not scary and dark. Like yeah, a lot of the Grimm stuff. Uh, but yeah, true. like the, the stories that wizards would have been told over and over and over again. And then of course in the Harry Potter books, you find out that one of them actually holds some very great truths. So huge Harry Potter fans around here. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, the next one is Walking on Water. Um, it has a subtitle, but I never write down the subtitles. And so I don't know what it was, but this is by Madeline Langle. Um, I, did you ever read her young adult fiction when you were a little? No. You never did Wrinkle in Time no, or any no, of those? No, I heard of them, but. I did several of those, and then I read Wrinkle in Time with our daughter recently. Um, I remember really, really loving them as a kid, but I didn't, I didn't like Wrinkle in Time when I reread it with her, and she <laughs> didn't really like it either. So, um, this one, though, I had heard about for a long time. This is one of her nonfiction books. Um, it's basically meditations on art and faith, and she does a really good job trying to talk about what it would be to be a Christian author, um, what it means to write for children, what it means to write in general. She mixes it up with enough of her own stories. It was, it was both deep and thoughtful. There were passages where I had to stop and reread and just kind of soak in what she was saying, and other parts that just flew really a gorgeous book. I would say if you are interested in her at all, you might like this. Or if you are a writer who's also a person of faith, this would be something you would really enjoy. Then I had been waiting for this book forever. It's called Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. She's the same person who wrote Daisy Jones and the Six, mm -hmm. which I loved. I felt we have definitely talked about that on here. Yeah, I think that was a double read that we, we talked about. Oh my gosh, that is that was one of my favorite we books. We both read that it. Year. <laughs> that, yeah. yeah, really good um, book. So I was excited for this one. This is very different. This book takes place. Pretty much all within 24 hours. There are lots of flashbacks, so you, you get other things, but mostly it's in 24 hours. It involves the four Riva children who host a party every year on this date. Um, you know from the first pages of, of the book that at the end of the night, the house where the party is that belongs to Nina Riva will be on fire. Um, and the book is kind of an exploration of how, how do they get to this point where their lives burn down? Um, couldn't put it down. Loved this book. It was great. Worth all the hype. She writes uh, relationships. It sounds like pretty yes. well. Yes. When I, I mean... finished this one, I told you, we said Daisy Jones and the Six was a marriage book. Mm -hmm. And this one is a parenting book. Mm -hmm. Oddly to say that because you don't really, the only parent who's actually there in the book is a deadbeat. Yeah. But this is a parenting book. And I loved it. it a parenting and, okay, parenting makes it too simple. It's also a family book. Who is your family? How do you take care of your family? What do you owe to your Which family? Which is obviously really one of the subtexts of Daisy Jones because it's one of the uh -huh. subtexts of life in a band. I yeah. mean, how, how deeply are the ties binding? To what extent do you have to put up with 
other people's crap. This book is set in the 80s, so there's some pop culture references. It's set in Malibu, of course, um, right within the celebrity culture. And Nina Riva, who owns the house that will burn down, um, is a, uh, a, a model. Um, some of the others are famous surfers. So it's, it's just, it's both fun and inspiring and really interesting. So I highly recommend it. I read The Seven Day Switch by Kelly Harms. I had read several of her other books. One of them I talked about on here last summer, I think. I might have read it before we started the podcast. That one was called The Bright Side of Going Dark. And then um, the, I'd also read, oh, The Overdue Life of Amy Byler. So um, this book, The Seven Day Switch, it, it had a premise that kind of stopped me for a little bit because it's a Freaky Friday premise. These two moms who are neighbors have a lot of sangria one night. They wake up the next day in each other's bodies. Honestly, I rolled... Why doesn't that happen all the time? Oh, gosh. Honestly, I rolled my (laughs) eyes when I read that. I was like, never mind. I was really excited for this book to come out because I love Kelly Harms. I loved both of those other books that I just mentioned. And then I thought, no, I love Kelly Harms, so let's give this book a try. And it was really good. Um, It actually ended up being very meaningful. The way that she handled the modern problems of being a mom... One of the moms is your workaholic mom, um, 24-7. She's on call at work. It's her own business. She is fully invested, but she is also, um, when she's home with her kids, she tries to be fully invested in them. Lots of fast food, lots of sports. She is there for their stuff. The other mom is a stay-at-home mom, organic everything. She makes all of the cupcakes for the class thing. They kind of have an animosity for each other, but time in each other's bodies Um, helps them both to rethink not only what they think of each other, but of their own particular lives. Um, And I ended up, like I say, was skeptical because hasn't this been done a million times, but I ended up really loving this. And if you have not read Kelly Harms before, um, she writes, it feels like it's not chick lit, but it's more literature that um, pertains to the way that women live their lives and, and the things that they the choices that they have to make, it's not light, really. None of it's ever light. The Overdue Life of Amy Byler is about a mom who's trying to figure out how to be a mom while also finding who she is. Um, and The Bright Side of Going Dark is about the dangers and the benefits of social media. So it's not light stuff. It's meaningful, but it's also really fun. Sure. All right. Then I read Breaking Free from Body Shame by Jess Connolly. Um, Jess has written several things. Wild and Free was one of her books. You're the Girl for the Job, I think, was one that came out last year. I have it on Kindle. I just don't read a lot electronically. Mm-hmm. But it, what I read of that one was really good also. I enjoyed this um, for the, she would not appreciate this phrase, but the body positive message that went through all of it. Um, just the idea that your body is good the way it's made. It doesn't have to be thinner. It doesn't have to be different that God made your body, and it's good, whatever it is. So um, then I read Books for Living by Will Schwalbe. I have no idea if I'm saying that name right. Read um, his book, um, I can't remember the name of it now, but it was the one that he wrote when his mother was dying of cancer. He and she had a book club together. And they read a book together every month and then discussed it. And he wrote a book about that and all the different books mm-hmm. and kind of a way to get closure um, and, and comfort with the loss of his mother. This one was um, in some ways a little bit more separate from that kind of deep emotion in that he came up with a list of books. He wrote about them and then he wrote within them about how they inform our lives, how they enrich our lives, 
what would reading this book teach us? It's not a list of lessons, though, and the essays were very personal for him. Um, so it was really, I read this when we went out of town for a couple of days, and it was really perfect for that road trip kind of thing because I, I could read in just pieces. The essays were all pretty short, mm-hmm. but they were also meaningful, and you kind of wanted to think about them a little bit anyway. So just having the, the kind of choppy nature of that reading was really good. The last one that I read is called Stuff Christians Like by Jonathan Acuff. Um, I guess this must have been one of the first books that he wrote. Yeah. Still going by Jonathan Acuff, and now he goes by John Acuff. Yeah. Um, but it was, I believe, based off his blog, and he wrote just a bunch of tiny little vignettes, um, kind of, like, ironically and sarcastically, um, poking fun at a lot of things that Christians in their churches think is normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and brought out the humor and the fact that a lot of this stuff is really not normal or really that great, but we do it anyway. <laughs> so we can talk about that more later. That covers what I read. Well, that was a nice sabbatical from the, the podcast. Glad to be back to join everybody. <laughs> no, Sorry, no, that was kidding. a monologue. You, you just had a lot of stuff. There was a lot to cover. A lot of essays, which is interesting, and you've, you've talked about this book a little bit last time, and we're going to continue that, uh, that mode of operating, but the shared read, The Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green. Um, you know more about John Green's career, so why don't you address that? The, his first big book was The Fault in Our Stars, or at least that's the first book that I really heard of him. It's the one I had read yeah. before this one. Um, yeah. And it was the first book of his that I read. Um, he really just really jumped on the young adult literature scene there, although he had actually written a couple of books that got attention before that. That was just the first one that was huge. Mm-hmm. Um he writes books, again, The Fault in Our Stars is one that jumps to mind immediately, also Turtles All the Way Down. He writes books that deal with problems that modern teenagers face, but are really problems that um, teenagers have always faced and that just humans in general faced. Mm-hmm. He writes about them through the lens of what it feels like to be a teenager, but also through the lens generally of something else in culture, whether it's literature or history or something else to kind of tie the two together and show how everything really is connected and related and nobody is as alone as they feel that they are. Um, his books um, in my classroom never stayed on the shelf. If I said I had a John Green book on the shelf, somebody checked it out before the end of the day and never brought it back. Those <laughs> characters are, are witty and funny and, and you know they, they're developed enough that adult readers don't lose pace with them. So yeah, that, that I think helps. He also, of course, was uh, is a successful podcaster. Um, he was a vlogger with his brother. He and his brother, I believe, still run their Crash Course channel on YouTube. They may not be updating that now. I'm not sure, but did a lot of stuff with his brother. Um, really, really embraced the video genre as it was exploding onto the scene. Um, and his books really, really resonate with, really, I don't know of anybody who hasn't read them who didn't find one that resonated with them. Yeah, and this particular book very much feels like it came out of the pandemic. Yes, very much so. His introduction explains that uh, it starts out, he says, I'm writing this during the pandemic. Yeah. And um, he talks about how, as he went to book signings and um, events, that people would always ask questions about how 
he like what parts of he of himself were in the characters mm-hmm. like they would know him they thought and who he was through what his characters did part of that may be because he has begun to be more open about the fact that he struggles with mental illness with OCD which is one of the issues for the character in turtles all the way down right um but he mentions that he he wanted to be separate that he part of the reason he wrote this book was to be able to kind of explore who he is, really, outside of those characters. Mm -hmm. And also, of course, um, the pandemic, the fear of it, gave him a chance to look at our society, this culture, the Anthropocene era that we are in, and what have we made in it, what have we made of it, what's good and what's bad about it, and to review everything that he can think of. Yeah, he goes through a little spiel about how we're in a review culture, and if you're not... Whatever uh, technology you're using to listen to this podcast probably gives you the opportunity to review it. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it it is true. Whether it's TripAdvisor or Amazon, everything is reviewed. And he talks about how this kind of became a running joke uh, with his brother in particular. Um, but you know, out of that, he talked about how reviews are really not you know some sort of objective weighing of things they're they're really subjective and they're really essentially little mini essays about a person's experiences and expectations and so using that uh he he goes on a a series of tangents basically about things that he wants to talk about and and ostensibly review there's not really a lot of reviewing it's more here are my experiences here were my expectations uh, so and here's my star rating. You know, it, it, this, don't don't think yeah, that this is going to be a book that's like oh I read a I read a book it was four stars. I, no, he reviews everything from Mario Kart to sunsets to what else? Specific animals. Yes. And Canada geese a chapter. <laughs> His favorite band. Yeah, yeah, and and really, it's an awesome book. The breadth of the book is what makes it work. Uh, he covers so much stuff. And one thing that I loved in here, uh, he talks about sports. And he does it in such a refreshing, cool way. Uh, I, I told you this story. <laughs> one of the, the essays concerns a particular soccer game in 2005. I'm not a soccer fan. If I was, I don't remember anything about 2005. <laughs> but he wrote about this so well that I sat down on my lunch one day and I watched a 12-minute video clip of highlights from this soccer match uh, that he had talked about, and at the end of it, I thought, I wish I had known more about that. I wish I, I, I followed this. That was pretty cool. Each essay that he does is grounded in research, which makes it not feel... Some essays are just kind of emotional like and focused on the self. Here is totally my experience. Mm-hmm. But his is a mix of his own experience and observations and then um, facts about whatever it is he's talking about that make it just really compelling... All the way through. I'm not a big fan of reviews in general. I make you and our son crazy because you always want to know what are my top five songs or movies or albums or books. And I just, I don't think that way. We men, we have this high fidelity mentality (laughs) where we'll walk into a room and be like, top five songs about Mondays, go! You know. (laughs) And honestly, when I read reviews of things, especially things that I love, the ones that are negative, and especially negative for no good reason, really annoy me. So I was a little hesitant, even though I love John Green, but I, I thought the review part of this worked so well that when I started an essay, I would kind of skip ahead a few pages and see what he was going to leave the stars for at yeah. the end of it. I, I thought it worked really, really well. And I knew that this book was also working for you 
when we were reading it in the car. Um, as Which we means you read it to me yeah. as I drive, lest anyone think that I'm, I'm driving down the road scanning pages. Well, you know, it was a long drive. We were coming back from vacation. <laughs> but I still wasn't actually reading and driving. And you were really kind of embroiled in this nasty little traffic pattern, and I'm just reading away and um, hoping that you were able to hear any of it because, you know, you're pretty involved with keeping us on the road and moving and everything. Um, and I look at the end of it, and you're just, you know, face is all tight, and you're like, that was great. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. Yep. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's it's funny how well he will go from the scientific and the general into the intensely personal and specific. And, you know, to read this at the same time as Cardboard Gods, they're both great books. They're both essays. They both use culture as a jumping off point. The difference in the two is that Josh Wilker does a great job of saying, here is my story. And you look at his story and you identify with him and you feel for him. But John Green has this unique ability about him to say, here is my story. And he's telling you the story and he does it so well that halfway through you realize it's become here is our story because you're thinking you're right in there with him. There's room for you in his writing, which Obviously, as a YA guy, it's pretty big skill to have, but he's got it as an essayist, too. He does. Some people are really good at nonfiction and not fiction, and some people the other way around, but this book proves he is excellent at both. So, really enjoyed it, and uh, if we're going to leave the Anthropocene reviewed there, we let's, how many stars should we give it? Uh, I give it five. I thought it was amazing. Uh, yeah, it, it really it, It's one of the better books I've read this year. I'll certainly say that. Uh, and it does not have, if you're a person who does not read young adult literature, first of all, you're probably missing out. Some of it you should really give a shot because it, it's not just for young adults. It really is so much better than I remember. Yeah. yeah. But this one is not really designed for young adults. It, I, I don't think. No. So if, you're, if you've been on the fence about John Green, this might be a good place for you to start. Absolutely. And speaking of starting, <laughs> we had a uh, suggestion from our friend Andy who said, hey, this was a book we enjoyed, and it was the aforementioned John or Jonathan, depending on how he felt about brevity, Acuff, <laughs> and his stuff Christians like. Julie's already read it. I'm going to read it if you want to read it too. Uh, I tracked down a copy at my friendly local library. Thank you, library. Uh, I encourage you to do the same. Or as a fellow author, I'm not against uh, making him a dollar or two in royalties. So buy it if you want. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to talking with you about that one next week. If you have any thoughts about it or anything else that we should read or any of the books that we talked about today, please let us know. You can email us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com. You can contact us on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod or on Twitter at pbackreaderspod. I actually did uh, post a little bit on that Twitter. So Look at you. Tweet on that Twitter, I guess, if you say <laughs> that. I don't know. Whatever. But in any case, thanks for listening. And for goodness sake, keep reading. <laughs>